Hello, good morning, and welcome. It's Friday, the 25th of September, 2020, and we're back with episode 161. And yes, I am hoping to get back to my usual twice-per-week episode run very, very soon. Uh, anyway, today's episode, really great stuff. Frustratingly, I was able to actually record it several weeks ago, so I'm sorry I've not had a chance to publish it until right now. Anyway, we've got Andreas Hermann and Maximilian Richter. They are researchers with the University of Zangalen in Switzerland, and they've just finished a multi-year study uh, with BCG. It's sort of a sequel to a study that I've talked about quite a bit in the past. If you remember, BCG and the World Economic Forum had done a study on the city of Boston investigating an autonomous future without any sort of car sharing. Spoiler alert, it doesn't work and traffic spikes. Uh, anyway, so this particular study then is trying to understand, kind of classify cities around the world into five different types in an effort to understand which future mobility solution is the best for each city type. Obviously, there isn't sort of one shoe fits all. Anyway, I'm going to stop talking and let them do all the talking because episode 161 with Andreas Herrmann and Maximilian Richter begins now. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. And we're live. So Andreas and Max, Maximilian, <laughs> uh, really great to chat with both of you. Uh, Max, you and I, of course, had the chance to connect a while back. And actually, if people don't know, if the name, if Max's name sounds at all familiar, it's because you will have seen him on our website. He's uh, one of our associates at Hogan Co. And obviously, guys, it's really exciting to be here today to chat with you. Uh, I think it makes sense to kick off with a brief intro from each of you. So we can kind of frame the context. Uh, and for me, all I'll say is this is a really, really awesome conversation for me to have because I remember several years ago when I read of the first study that BCG had done regarding the impact on urban traffic by autonomous vehicles in the absence of car sharing. Uh, the study, I believe, was conducted in Boston. There mm -hmm. was a marked uptake in traffic congestion generally. In fact, that's a study that I've discussed quite a bit on the podcast. So to be able to chat with both of you now and kind of get, shall we say, the sequel to that study, as it were, uh, super, super exciting for me. So please, um, I guess, Andreas, why don't we kick it off with you? If you would give us a brief intro, please, of your background and how you ended up here. Yeah, I'm um, I'm a professor at the University of St. Gallen and director of the Center for Customer Insights. Uh, we are involved in various projects, mainly with the automotive industry. And that's the reason why we ran into this topic of autonomous driving a couple of years ago. So we uh, did many uh, joint research projects uh, with the auto industry, uh, tried to investigate how people perceive autonomous driving, how it is considered, where the hurdles, where the advantages um, as seen by the consumers. And uh, at some point in time, uh, we got in touch with, with B BCG. And, um, and then we decided to do this um, large-scale empirical investigation about uh, the usefulness of um, 
autonomous, autonomous technology in, in various city uh, city settings. <clears throat> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so, so Max, uh, how did you loop into all of this? Yeah, thanks, Mark. Um, nice that we got the chance to talk today. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I being a PhD student for the last three years here at the Institute and worked together with Andreas on the BCG study. And I was really blessed to drive the topic um, due to the last uh, one and a half years together with BCG. And my dissertation is mainly in the field of autonomous driving and how autonomous cars can benefit to our future cities. So that's mainly the, the core topic of, of me. And yeah, I basically spent the last three years working on that topic. No, it sounds great. So, so why don't we do this? Why don't we just kick it off with like a high level kind of summary, I guess. I mean, can you sort of clarify, am I correct that this is indeed a sort of sequel to that first study? And if so, what's the difference in the, in the focus, would you say? Um, uh, uh, well, the idea of this uh, study was um, um, to extend uh, the scope of um, investigation when it comes to implementing uh, uh, autonomous um, uh, mobility. Um, we started with the assumption that uh, there are very different cities out there, and not city, not every city um, is um, is uh, ideal for bringing um, autonomous vehicles um, on the streets. And so we, we, we try to find a couple of criteria uh, to uh, helping us understanding um, which type of city um, is, is, um, is kind of natural for bringing uh, uh, autonomous mobility um, uh, uh, to the streets. And, um, and um, by, by, by doing so, we, um, we considered uh, 38 uh, different cities and uh, we took a, a, a two handfuls of, of criteria and then we run basically a um, cluster analysis and found different types uh, of cities. Um, uh, we came up with, um, with a um, handful of, of types of different uh, cities and uh, were able to um, come up with recommendations concerning the implementation um, of autonomous mobility for those uh, for those different clusters. That was the idea to to, to end up with a um, with, with implications for policymakers, for car manufacturers, for tech companies, and help them uh, developing a roadmap for implementing autonomous mobilities in various city contexts. And Got it. So, so basically the idea is that obviously one solution for one type of city is obviously not going to work for different right. types of cities right. based on yes. anything from topography to yeah. urban design and so forth. And so, so Max, you sent me actually the the BCG PDF on this. Um, and so are you, so, so I see that you've got sort of, you've divided this into five different city types. Is that correct? Yes, um, that's correct. So the hypothesis, hypothesis behind it is that every city is um, unique in its traits. I mean, um, every city got its own history, own size and own population. So which makes different form of transportation more suitable for any given city. At the end, that means the impact of an integration of autonomous vehicle will be different in each city. Mm -hmm. But somehow that's our um, approach. Cities are comparable. I mean, Berlin is quite similar 
as an example to Vienna or Prague. I mean, they have the yeah. same amount of modal split, same size or population. So we came up with the idea to cluster them. Um, so we took 44 cities um, around the world and took all the information we could get about these cities. And then we put them into a tool and came up with um, the best number of five different archetypes which represent the cities um, which are clustered. And the idea behind it um, that every city in the world can actually find itself anywhere within this five archetypes. Which means even we started from 44 cities, every city um, can be used this um, findings we have to bring their strategy of politics according to autonomous driving on the road. Mm -hmm. Just out of curiosity, as an aside, are there any types of city designs that are sort of outliers? Meaning, are there any cities that, for whatever reason, are essentially an impossible candidate? For a yes, car shared for, or autonomous for sure. Vehicle? I mean, um, we had um, in the beginning the, the, I wouldn't say trouble, but um, we collected uh, the 44 cities and we had to um, neglect, neglect cities from, as an example, Africa, because um, mm. they are not really suitable because at some places they don't really have the roads and the um, yeah, conditions for autonomous driving. And also we focus on big cities which are larger than 500 um, inhabitants. So yes, there is or are some outliers um, where we could find. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Got it. And, and just looking at the uh, simulation result, it looks almost like a scatter plot. So can you, I guess, <laughs> as best as possible, I guess sort of verbally describe. So, so what exactly are we looking at here for the simulation result for each of these five categories of cities? Because um, each has a remarkably different uh, sort of yeah, scatter plot design. Is this representing sort of density of, of, of um, utilization in those city types? Yes, it is. So um, what we did is um, we went to Google Maps and just had an, or tried to get an impression where the most um, density is um, inside the city and we uh, distinguish it by if it is an industry part or if it is like a huge population area or if there's an airport. So there are all information we took in and then we clustered these um, cities and came up with this urban structure type. So as an example, to go to the prosperous innovation centers, you see there are a lot of satellites around the main core, like this dots mm -hmm. around. So these are cities which have like really big urban places around the core center, as an example. Mm -hmm. And and so is the study, by the way, um, I should ask, is this is this PDF something that we can share publicly or, or not? Yes, we have um, put together a report, and this report uh, covers the most important findings, and we can send out this report, yes. So we have it online I mean, it, and, and, and as a, in a printed version. 
But I mean, Max, is this the same one that you that you just sent to me by email? Is this something that we can share uh, through our website or no? I I mean, it's public. Oh, uh, it is. Okay, so perfect. So it's, it's yeah, no, the re- distributed by the website of PCG and also by our institute. So that's nothing uh, we want to hide from. Yeah, perfect. No, the only reason I was asking is because it would be great if people are listening mm-hmm. to this podcast to be able to see the actual chart, like this 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 graph that we're talking about. Um, okay, so so I guess my next question, I'm just curious. So so is the study based? Like what are the like what are the elements or the variables that are affecting the study that you that you looked at? So for example, is it primarily the um, is it everything from like the actual urban design itself to the types of vehicles currently in use? Uh, what kind of assumptions are made? And crucially, are there any like what impact, if any, was taken into account for the study with respect to shall we say uh, consumer acceptance or social acceptance? If it was necessary to implement some sort of a um, I guess, personality shift, meaning, for instance, in LA, Max, as you know very well, since you lived in Long Beach anyway, uh, people love their cars. They love to drive individually. So I would assume that this would have some adverse impact on the uptake of, um, certainly on car sharing, and therefore potentially on, well, any sort of car sharing, autonomous or otherwise. So is that a factor that was considered, or is it strictly a physical infrastructure study? So actually, um, we have a lot of data which is going into the, the study. As an example, city age, density, and um, also the mode distribution we talk about, the model mix. But we mainly focused on data which we could find about the city. And what you are talking about is um, the acceptance of the um, people if they would use the um, mode or not but we have some um, graph or like a statistic inside of it which um, is about the distribution of um, when a person will use any transport modes. As an example if you go for a distance of two kilometers the likelihood that you walk is higher than the distance of 10 to 15 kilometers. So that is a distribution we took from actual literature out there. Um, But to be honest, this is just one tiny part of a dozen of um, input data we used. um, Mark, you were raising a very important point. It, It will be a very rough ride all the way to autonomous mobility because people love cars some people give names to their cars and uh, and and the automotive industry did a great job in the past by relating specific emotions to car, to car based mobility that's absolutely right and um so basically we we need to step back and say okay we have different driving situations um it, it's not just it's not fun on a Monday morning to commute between your home uh, outside LA and your office downtown LA. That had nothing to do with uh, happiness, with freedom, or any other emotion. So it's, it's, it's pure burden. And for those occasions, uh, we need to think about improving mobility by using um, uh, autonomous mobility. But there are other circumstances. On a Saturday 
night uh, when you um, uh, open the roof of your um, uh, cabriolet and you enjoy riding. And um, I think we have to consider both situations. And I think both situations uh, will find a place in, in our modern world. But in this study, uh, we were focusing on the downside of mobility. So when mobility is a burden. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I mean, so I guess the question becomes, I mean, just to, to close the loop on this aspect anyway, the emotional connection to cars. Mm -hmm. So I've often suggested in the past that you're probably not going to get rid of that emotional bond until a car actually loses the steering wheel. Because only once a vehicle does not have a steering wheel does it stop being a car and it's basically just a, I don't know, a train mm -hmm. and therefore an appliance. Yes. Um, look, uh, if you take, for example, the, uh, the luxury models from, from BMW or Audi, um, these models already to, um, to, uh, today offer uh, L3 um, uh, autonomous mobility. That means uh, up to a speed of 60 kilometers per hour, uh, you can give up the driving task from the human uh, uh, to the machine, from you, I can move it from you, from the human to the machine, and uh, we can even go a step step further to the next level to to L four, uh, where in almost all controlled driving situations, uh, uh, the machine can can take over um, uh, control, and and but 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 the steering wheel is still in in the car, and so you can make make a decision in some situations when you have this stop and go, uh, um, uh, traffic situations, you you give up. Um, um, uh, control of the car, or in other situation when you have a free, free freeway in front of you, uh, you might enjoy driving, and then you take over um, uh, control. So um, I, I do see room uh, for both. Uh, um, so uh, I do not see a contra uh, necessary contradiction. Well, I'm a, I'm sort of a contradiction myself <laughs> because uh, <laughs> okay. I love driving, and yet we have uh, a Tesla Model Y, and even my wife has said to me on numerous occasions. She says, I cannot believe that you choose to use autopilot as much as you do because you like driving. I said, yes, I like driving on a, on a mountain road, in a canyon, on a racetrack. I don't want to drive on the freeway. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, okay, maybe it's not such a contradiction after all. Um, okay, neat. So, so don't, actually, that's a good – yeah, please. Let, let's challenge it. Do you really love or like to ride your car in a city – like New York or Berlin, where you have an average speed of about, let's say, 20 kilometers an hour, what is about 10 miles per hour. Um, do you really like that? And no, no, like that's, that's my point. In, the, no. in congestion for hours? Yeah, no, that's my point. I do not, I do not like that. The, the sort of driving that I like is indeed a mountain road, you know, like a beautiful mountain road, uh, you know, uh, or, or, yeah, you know, something which indeed doesn't re require sitting in traffic and is actually engaging and is fun. Um, so, yes, agreed. For, for mean, ordinary mostly, commuting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, commuting is the most time you sit in the car. And, exactly. Um, so we need to challenge this. Is that really the type of mode you want to choose in the future for commuting the car, which is obviously pretty slow and a lot of traffic jam including? Well, I mean, I guess, I guess if your question is, you know, what, you know, what do I hope for? I mean, I think it'll still be a, a car in the sense that it's going to be the, the box with wheels, but to your point, yeah, of course, absolutely. It should be, uh, fully, uh, you know, you shouldn't have to drive. It should indeed be at least level four, if not level five. Right. Yeah. Um, 
But but actually, that's a perfect segue though to, to a question I wanted to ask. So I've been saying for for a very long time that I don't even think it's necessary to prioritize. Um, yeah, I mean, of course, there should be research on level five, if only for research sake, and to eventually reach that end game. But I think as a practical go to market strategy, level four is where the focus should be. Because after all, if you have cars which can drive on certain roads and certain lanes and certain conditions from A to B, that would actually be a hugely sufficient win. No. So, so actually, I guess my question I want to ask you is, did your, does your study consider only fully level five or is this considering, for instance, level four as well? No, we 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 considered uh, level five uh, b- uh, because we, we see basically two entry points into the world of autonomous mobility. One entry point is um, um, is uh, what technology companies are doing. They jump directly to level five. That's um, mobile cars, Navia cars, yeah. uh, Google cars, and uh, we will uh, and we believe that we will see those vehicles in the inner parts of cities. In in, mm-hmm. in, uh, in inner cities, um, that's that's one way. The other way, the other entry point uh, is uh, um, pursued by the um, car manufacturers. They go all the way from level one, level two, level three, level four, right. and we will see those technologies probably on freeways. So where, where people decide, do I want to drive by myself or do I want to take over driving responsibility uh, th- these uh, to the machine? And um, so um, we considered um, in this study the situation in inner cities, uh, in these metropolitan areas, where we believe that level five will be the, be the solution. These are uh, parts, these are shuttles offered by the city or some other companies. Uh, people do not own those uh, vehicles. and They, they just circulate. Uh, they're not looking for, for, for parking. They, just, uh, they are controlled by a driving, uh, uh, driving management center or traffic management center. And um, that's a totally different type of mobility compared to a, um, um, to a uh, Mercedes S-Class where, where, where people um, um, use L4 uh, technology to decide: Do I want to drive by myself, or do I do I um, uh, uh, relax and and let the machine uh, do do this job? So both options are possible. We believe in both options, but we 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 uh, consider the L five situation. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Yeah, so so I get it. And I agree completely, actually. Um, I guess what I'm wondering, though, it wouldn't it be a vastly more attainable and more easy goal or I should say a less difficult goal to to you know for cities to embrace level four I mean as soon as possible right and just you so I'm thinking for example just to use Zurich as my favorite example if you take Bahnhofstrasse it's already got those beautiful streetcars yeah but what Mm -hmm. if you effectively instead of the streetcars you had literally autonomous cars, but only on Bahnhofstrasse and going to, you know, wherever the, the, the streetcars go. It's the same idea, right? But it's a more attainable goal, maybe also from a consumer acceptance, right? People are more inclined to get on a car, an autonomous car, which drives only on that street safely in a constrained environment, no? 
No, uh, I, I don't think so for several reasons. First reason mm. is uh, level level four is to some extent risky because you have this danger zone when um, the machine gives over control to human or human gives back control to the machine. That's a dangerous situation. Um, uh, because uh, imagine you sleep and all of a sudden the, the machine tells you now you have 10 seconds uh, to take over control. And in that 10 seconds, you have to um, um, watch uh, um, uh, other cars, you have to watch pedestrians and try to find um, yourself um, uh, and, and, uh, uh, in this traffic situation all of a sudden, basically. And that's a, that's a dangerous situation. So um, um, many cities say for this reason, we, we, we want to go directly to L5. That means uh, no um, involvement bet between machine and human. And I think that's a valid argument. Mm -hmm. And there's another yeah, argument I mean... for, for L5. In, in the world of L5, um, you, you, you think um, in terms of shared mobility. That means uh, people do not own those pods or those shuttles. And, right. mm -hmm. uh, and, and only shared mobility is able to reduce the amount of vehicles in the street. So um, if we... Um, if we um, pursue our existing business model that uh, people purchase cars, we do not, we, we, we are not able to reduce the amount of cars in the street. So we need to, 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 to have the, some sort of sharing concept. And, and I think L5 is the right um, environment for, for implementing sharing um, uh, connected with autonomous mobility. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And it certainly syncs up with the eventual goal that I guess Elon has talked about for the Tesla fleet, which is yeah. the idea that eventually it'll be cost prohibitive to buy a Tesla. And right. you will henceforth in a few years supposedly just be, yeah, you won't, <clears throat> you'll never own one. You'll just be sharing one. Yeah, yeah, uh, exactly. Will, this will also drive down uh, mobility costs. Right, of course. And for yeah. doesn't drive down mobility costs. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. So, all right. So, should we start picking on specific cities? <laughs> I mean, like, what would you like? Is there a way to rank sort of cities in terms of what you think are the most likely candidates to sort of jump on this first? I mean, again, my assumption is that so. So, I know that Boston has just been doing a ton of work in this space. Their mayor's office even has like a dedicated autonomous vehicle task force or something like this. Um, and Boston needs it, right? Because Boston roads are 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 pretty funny to put it politely. Um, <laughs> and the traffic is, is a different level of crazy. Um, so, so I don't know, like, did, is there any thought on like how, which cities are going to tackle this sooner? Yeah. I mean, we also interviewed a couple of people around 30 um, from industry research and also politicians. And the result is that there are different um, reasons why we have, or why a country does have autonomous driving. An example, um, in America, the need is, or actually the distribution of autonomous driving is basically driven by the technology um, companies and also by the free market. While in Europe, there is um, already a very good public transportation existing. So we are here in Europe very carefully by introducing autonomous cars and it probably takes longer and there's no actual need as we have in in the US because you obviously have in a lot of cities very poor um, public transportation systems which means um, 
in the US, you are more responsible uh, to introduce the autonomous cars as an example. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's curious, like I've often wondered, like what's the limiting factor in terms of, you know, so, so I guess, all right, so there's an analogy I've thought about in the past. It just seems like it's uh, going back to the social element of all this. I mean, when uh, say the first iPhone came out or the app store came out, it was a new technology and it was an easy way to get it to market. And there was no kind of, there was no friction against, you know, there was no resistance to it. Here, I feel like even if the technology is ready, there's still a lot of friction. It's still not an easy thing to get people to embrace. And I think that's one of the big challenges, right? So for example, I guess what I'm trying to say is I feel like with most new technologies, it's almost a foregone conclusion. If the technology is good, if it works, if it's great, it'll just be the natural way of things for that new technology to supersede the older technology, whether it was the first combustion engine cars replacing horse and carriage or whether it was trains replacing I guess wagons, <laughs> right? Mm. But I feel like mm. here, even if we have the technology, it's it's not it's not it's not a foregone conclusion that it's going to happen right away. There has to be a very concerted effort from the municipality side, from the from the from the strategic sort of technology company side, and it has to be a real. It's a, it's going to require a really solid effort that I feel like we haven't seen with other new technologies. Do you do you agree that it may just mm-hmm. not happen in certain cities? Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. It takes carrots and sticks. Otherwise, it's it's impossible to implement <laughs> um, this this technology. And um, a carrots uh, can be um, tax reductions, uh, specific lanes for those cars, um, and sticks um, m- might be uh, regulations and and specific laws in in some circumstances. I I, I absolutely agree. And and the reason is that um, the auto industry did a tremendous job within the last 50 years. Uh, mm-hmm. They told us nothing is more important than your car because your car reflects everything. It's self-esteem. Yep. It's so, it, it's, it demonstrates social prestige. Uh, it, it helps you finding the most beautiful girl out there <laughs> in the streets and many, yeah. many of those things. And, and, um, and we love cars. Huh? We we consider cars as partners in our life, and and um, and and getting rid of of all those things that's a that's a hard job. Um, going back to the nature of mobility, that's what we are talking about. Entering a a a a, a pod or a shuttle, driving from A to B. Um, without thinking of social prestige and I'm in love with a car and things like that. However, uh, Mark, the good news is uh, uh, other aspects can come into such a car. For example, advertising. Uh, um, uh, um, uh, Starbucks is offering uh, a, a whatever a rebate when 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 we um, uh, jump off and and enter the shop and so new forms of of communication can take place and 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 can tran- transfer this boring vehicle into an exciting uh, in, in, into an uh, uh, exciting uh, car or exciting. Shop. I mean, absolutely. I mean, personally, yeah. You don't have to convince me. My my concern is how do we convince everybody else? <laughs> uh, because that is indeed the big challenge, right? Yeah. Um, maybe at some point we we need to stick. <laughs> well, okay. So let's talk about that. So, so as a lawyer, one of my biggest fascinations, obviously, with everything happening in the autonomous vehicle space, is well, obviously, the legal aspect. It, it's really yes. fascinating stuff. And so, as you're 
probably well aware in the US right now, it's pretty much the Wild West. Uh, states can generally do what they want. Um, and I've actually suggested that that's great for innovation, obviously, I think in general, for the time being. However, I think that eventually, once companies are ready to get level four cars on the road, and obviously level five, um, that eventually we do need a proper rigorous framework of law in the form of what I've at least hypothetically suggested, an FAVA, a Federal Autonomous Vehicle Administration, to complement the FAA. Mm -hmm. And yes. so, so, so to put it more succinctly, I think that for level one, two, three, by all means, do what you want. But once you want to put level four and five on the roads, it's got to be approved by an FAVA of sorts. What, what do you think? Yes. I mean, um, like, in other words, um, are you in favor of that sort of government regulation in all countries generally? Like, the, the, the AVs are sufficiently complex as to require that? Well, um, um, for, for, for us in Europe, it's even more important because we cross borders. And so yeah, we need true. international regulations. And, mm -hmm. um, but I, I'm, I'm very, very optimistic that we will, um, that we will get um, um, the, the, the rules. Um, which make sure that we um, that we sit in cars which uh, um, are on a specific technical level. Uh, but uh, I think the, the other issue which you raised is more important. How can how can we get rid of manually driven cars um, uh, uh, in our streets? And um, 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 and we need probably at some point regulations that we um, that for example a, a mayor has the your, uh, the right to say, "Hey, um, I only want to see um, automatic uh, automatic cars uh, in my uh, in my city. I, I don't mm -hmm. want to see manually driven cars anymore uh, in the city. I, I have a parking ground outside the city where all those um, uh, cars uh, can can uh, uh, park, but uh, people have to, uh, to to switch transportation mode and enter." Um, uh, autonomous shuttles, uh, for, for example. I think we, we need to have these types of regulations and rules. Otherwise, it will be very complicated because mixed traffic is dangerous. Imagine you have 10 um, autonomous vehicles in the streets and in this group of 10 vehicles, there's one manually driven car that causes a lot of chaos. So um, at some point, we have, to, we, have, we have to get rid of those cars. Yeah, I mean, one, one could say that, I mean, what's the difference? Certain cities have streets which are pedestrian only. Beyond this point, mm -hmm. you can't drive a car, yeah. you must walk with your feet. So what's right. the difference? Maybe on these streets, you say, well, you can't drive your own car, but you can get in a car which drives you. <laughs> mm -hmm. I mean, I mean, streets have had limitations for one thing or another forever, right? I mean, and certainly yeah. many cities in the world already have restrictions based on the emissions, right? So... Mm -hmm. This is sort of a difference of degree more than a difference of kind, I think, yeah. in terms mm -hmm. of yeah, further restrictions. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, yeah. Interesting. So, but okay, mm -hmm. let's go back to kind of the, the, the focal point of the, of the study, though, right? Because at the end of the day, it comes down to um, deploying autonomous vehicles are a necessary step in the right direction, but they're obviously not sufficient in the absence of, well, shared mobility. And so, well, obviously... COVID has kind of blown a hole in sharing anything with anybody. So how does this adversely impact 
you know, the, the, this whole transition. I mean, nobody wants to get into an Uber or a Lyft or anything even remotely shared, let alone public transit of any sort. I know that in San Francisco, for example, the so-called light rail system uh, has now been shut down until next year. So isn't this very bad? Yeah, I think COVID works in both directions. You're right. Uh, nobody wants to enter a, a Uber car. Uh, we do see that people go back to their own cars, they avoid public transportation. Uh, but on the other side, we have a lot of cities um, uh, opening up new uh, lanes for, for bikes, for, right. uh, for micro-mobility, uh, and, and that's a good sign. Um, and so um, I, I see uh, positive signs and also negative signs. Um, uh, and, and you're also right that a lot of manufacturers reduced all programs for autonomous mobility due to um, uh, the problems in sales. Uh, that's, that's definitely right. So we, um, uh, we, we do see um, some, some problems um, uh, concerning the next step in mobility. But um, at the end of the day, uh, COVID will not stop uh, this transformation. Right. And actually, you touched on something that I've suggested for a while, which is that you're right. With, re with respect to all the streets being closed to vehicles and being open to pedestrians, um, certainly some of those streets can be restricted only to level four and level five vehicle development and testing, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, even if you have just one or two streets. Somebody made a clever argument, though, suggesting that the data that a, an autonomous vehicle would be collecting in such a restricted circumstance wouldn't be very meaningful training data. Mm. But I, I suggested certainly it's better than nothing, right? right. <laughs> certainly some yeah. testing, even with suboptimal data, is better than no testing. Um, yeah, I don't know. And, and, and COVID taught us an important lesson. Um, we are able to transform Hey, we, we, mm, sure. we do many things differently. We have home office, yeah. we have Zoom meetings, we have all those things we never thought before. But it was possible almost from one day to the next. So, um, well, we humans are pretty adaptable, if nothing else. That is true. <laughs> oh, that's right. That's absolutely right. Yes. So, so at the end, it's the... also the, the question how we get out of this crisis. I mean, we got this, as Andreas said, this pop up bicycle lane um, in a couple of cities. And the question now is how we get out. Do we really get back um, or give back the streets to the cars or do we keep them as a bicycle lane? So now politicians can ask themselves if they want to go a step further and keep everything which obviously came out as a good decision or a good point to change or if they really change it back. So um, we have it in our hands right now or at least the politicians, but they really need to use this chance for the future. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But it's also good to hear you both acknowledge that indeed there is that big social component, the big consumer acceptance thing. I mean, Max, you certainly know of the of the study that we've been conducting. I mean, the, the survey, survey that we've been running, um, you know, with our firm, right? So I think the more data that we can accumulate on consumer acceptance of autonomous vehicles, um, the better, right? Because that, that that is going to be crucially important to understand how people are willing to adapt. Um, it's probably worth mentioning to folks listening. If you haven't yet taken the survey, yeah, just head over to our website at hogandco.com. Check it out. It's a pretty fascinating survey. I mean, you get to learn a lot about yourself also, 
really, because <laughs> this, the questions are pretty uh, in-depth, honestly. Um, but let's see. Okay, so why don't we jump to the end here, then? I see uh, you've got four future scenarios that you talk about. So I guess, obviously, depending on the type of archetype city that, you know, in which you've conducted your studies, so obviously different cities will see different kinds of solutions. It looks like you've got... Um, shifting from private cars to non-autonomous, but still shared, right? You've got another type, which is uh, in favor of robo-shuttles, so autonomous shared shuttle pod vehicles. A third type is focusing on micromobility, presumably like scooters and bicycles, I guess. And finally, um, a thing that you call robo-pods, which is sort of a mini shared shuttle, literally two passengers maximum, right? Yes, that's right. Mm-hmm. And do, do, you, do you see that, uh, let's see, and is there any kind of rhyme or reason to which kind of cities uh, will be favored by one solution or the other? Is this, again, primarily uh, dictated by the physical design of the city, or does this then tend to be something else which is driving that solution? So as an example for the high-compact middle race, um, the autonomous cars doesn't perform that best. And an example for that um, archetype is Berlin or Vienna. And the reason for that is that we already got there in pretty well existing public transport network. So right. that's the reason why it obviously or autonomous cars are obviously not that good performing because they would cannibalize um, the uh, public transport, which means people switch from the public transport to cars, which um, increase traffic situation. But in other cities, as an example, in car-centric giants, Los Angeles, as an example, autonomous mobility um, would make the traffic situation even better. So as you see, there are trades which um, are beneficial for autonomous cars and are not. And this reminds me, I almost forgot to ask you, we're seeing at least anecdotally, but I think also the data is validating the anecdotes that indeed people are shifting out of cities more to suburbs. And so, so I guess the question becomes what impact this will have on the testing and certainly the deployment of autonomous vehicles and their role, right? So speaking of anecdotes, one of the things I've heard for quite some time now is that in the UK, people who own Tesla vehicles tend to drive further and more frequently than owners of any other car. And speaking personally, I can say that my wife and I have definitely done much, much, much more driving mm. since we got our Tesla, just because it's about one third the cost if you consider only fuel costs as the metric, but obviously there's also maintenance savings, but even just based on fuel versus electricity, it's about one third to one half the cost. Certainly it's just easier to drive because just offloading a lot of the effort driving in traffic with autopilot, as limited as it may be, it definitely offloads a lot of the effort. And so, so, so that kind of at least, you know, frees up, it, it, it gives the added optionality to live further away from the city generally, mm-hmm. which in turn means that more people, it, assuming we get back to a world where people do still sometimes need to commute to the city, well, now they're, you know, they don't mind commuting as far. So that's going to also really change the dynamic, right? Absolutely. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Absolutely. And that's a problem. These uh, widely spread neighborhoods uh, reduce um, um, the efficiency of autonomous driving. Uh, right. Uh, absolutely. Especially when we think about shared autonomous driving. And uh, um, because shared autonomous driving is most efficient in, in dense uh, neighborhoods, in dense environments. Sure. And, and and that makes it difficult, um, uh, absolutely. So probably the solution is a mix of um, different types of transportation, different transportation modes. So trains, subways, uh, micro mobility, as well as, as shuttles and parts. Uh, but that that's the answer um, is not general. So um, we have to look case specific into specific cities, into specific environment. Uh, environments which combination of which combination of um, modes make sense uh, but uh, you're absolutely right that's 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 a disadvantage uh. mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and so i mean i know it's always the the annoyingly impossible question to even discuss but should we talk about timelines i mean what's realistically yeah you know, what, what are we? What's like a realistic time frame for when we're going to start seeing these sorts of shifts? I, I would say that depends on whom you ask. <laughs> yes, um, it does. There are some people <laughs> out there. They say they that never will work or happen. But if you ask other people um, from tech companies, they or promise me that we'll have autonomous car on the roads in the next two to three years. So I mean that's. <clears throat> That's a hot bet, but maybe Andreas, do you know more? Well, but, um, but, but hang on though. Even if even if we have autonomous cars on the roads, again, to the point of your study, that doesn't speak at all to the sharing aspect of it. I mean, so what if there's a lot of autonomous cars? What matters is is it a shared mobility application, right? Hmm. Well, I'm I'm pretty sure that we will see the um, the first uh, shared autonomous applications. I would say in in, in twenty two, um, um, we are very we, we are in contact with many of those uh, high tech companies offering those um, 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 devices and um, those machines, and um, and all of them are um, arguing that um, the negotiations with cities um, uh, are in a pretty mature phase. So we'll we will see limited applications in. Some neighborhoods or in some quarters, um, not across the whole cities, but um, um, uh, uh, at least on such a level that uh, these um, uh, combination of different parts and shuttles can replace traditional car-based mobility. I, I think that we will see in, in 22 um, uh, in, in some of those called smart cities, um, cities who are very progressive and try to change the nature of mobility substantially. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I know it's sort of beyond the, cope, the, beyond the scope of the discussion and your research, but it's worth at least asking briefly, since it's a foregone conclusion that future autonomous vehicle development will also be electric, and furthermore, 
again, to the point of your research, that everything must indeed be shared eventually, which we can all agree on. Um, what, what, <laughs> what are your thoughts on what's going to happen with respect to tax revenue and, say, insurance generally? Like, any thoughts on how that's all going to play out? Well, I think it's pretty clear, clear, clear that um, uh, insurance payments will go down because um, uh, we know that 91 to 94% of all car accidents are yep. um, uh, caused by humans and not yep. by the machine. So uh, if the machine takes over driving responsibilities, the amount of accidents should go down significantly. That means that the risk of driving goes down. That means that insurance payments uh, can go down. So the, the car insurance industry is in big trouble, in my view. And another point is what concerns the city is um, a lot of city makes money by parking spaces or yes, traffic exactly. all. So um, that's a really big loss for the city. So they need to find new business models, how to make money with autonomous cars, because they will lose a big amount of money or income um, within their city. And even yeah, though what like... you shouldn't forget, if people move out, as you explained, they are able to drive further out of the city the prices for houses is uh, dropping down. So that totally will um, destroy or change um, the financial business industry within the city. So they really need to focus um, on new, new uh, business models. Well, that's a really good point, actually. Although I would imagine that this impact will be much more or less on certain cities, right? So my somewhat naive assumption here is that obviously if you compare a city which in which a large percentage of the population already relies on public transit instead of their own vehicle versus so so okay so say take i don't know take paris versus say los angeles i would assume therefore any major shift is going to impact adversely a city like LA much more than it would impact a city like Paris, no? Yes, probably. But I mean, the the city in uh, Paris is already or should um, look for new, new models, how to gain uh, money. And then it comes to the question of the mobility platform. This is probably the next billion um, dollar question within mobility who owns all the mobility on demand and um, that could be the city itself but it also could my be assumption, Google Maps. Yeah. so um, we really need to think who is the fleet provider and this doesn't matter really if we are talking about autonomous car or if we talk about the micro mobility scooter because currently within the city it's a mess you need ton of apps to find the um, traffic mode you want to find. So <laughs> yeah, exactly. at the end, you as a city can really take over um, this mobility platform. And this is a lot of money behind that um, yeah, platform because at the end, you can decide who can participate within your mobility ecosystem or not. And yeah, city need to question if they really want to own the platform or if they want to give it up to a third party like Google Maps. I mean, can we can we theorize on this based on some analogies? 
I mean, if it was one provider of the vehicle, I would say the analogy, for example, is the police force. I mean, in American cities and certainly in European cities, you get, you know, one primary supplier of vehicles, right? So I think in Germany, a lot of the BMWs are used for police cars and, and Volkswagen as well, I guess I've seen. And in America, mm-hmm. we tend to have Ford, right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, suppose, for instance, yeah, I don't know, take, yeah, suppose that, uh, yeah, Google's Waymo division decided to start producing, <laughs> uh yeah you know started selling these to cities i mean that would make sense the city would still own them or at least maybe lease them or subscribe to them essentially right isn't that the same analogy as with say police vehicles yeah we um we will definitely find those um um um, models those subscription models um um but i'm not, not not really concerned about the hardware because that's that will be commodity so the the interesting part is a uh, censoring and the software and um uh, i think it's it's pretty clear that we will not have um, 20 suppliers in the market but we will have four or five and uh, and the market is is big enough uh, to have those different concepts or different technologies out there and um we will have kind of an oligopolistic market uh, for, for 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 software for, for processing unit for censoring and um maybe maybe the hardware business uh, could be at the end uh, a, a a simple commodity business especially when we talk about pots and and and, and shuttles uh, these vehicles are uh, um on the streets at a, at the max speed of whatever 20 30 miles miles per hour so that, that that's that's no rocket science to produce those cars uh, mm-hmm. and um that's simply a economies of scales business but um uh, the crucial point is um do we have enough competition uh, on the software side and and i'm i'm very confident on that because uh, if we compare uh, Mobileye with uh, Tesla with Google, we do see different approaches and i think there's sure. room for all of those approaches out there Mm-hmm. And also, let's face it, I mean, maybe there, it seems like there could be a very real need to give sufficient incentives to cities. I mean, at the very least, you're right, there's a concern that they could lose a lot of revenue from parking slots. On the other hand, you look at companies like Here Technologies, which are basically crowdsourcing all these, the various data from, from vehicles, and they're able to sell the road data back to the cities. So the cities know how to, you know, they know which part of the road has to be repaired. And so that saves a lot of money. Instead of randomly looking around, they can go exactly to the, you know, the precise location. I mean, maybe maybe that's what it comes down to. If, if they can actually utilize the the sort of data, maybe it's more than just cutting down on traffic. But indeed, at the end of the day, use that data to in totally new mm-hmm. ways. That's what it comes down to, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, that's a story um, which we here all the time uh, data is a new gold standard basically yeah, <laughs> um but um at the end of the day uh, we need to make sense out of this data and uh, i think that's still a long way to go uh, there's a lot of data around but not many companies are really able to make sense of data um but but uh, 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 i agree um um especially when you think of google uh, having all information about uh, the passengers navigation data 
uh, um, surfing data coming from, from internet activities and things like that. And if we combine this data, we have a pretty clear understanding of the, of the personality of the passengers. Uh, that's right. Um, um, but then business models come into play. So what kind of business model can be implemented? And, and that's a tricky question. So transforming data into business model, data per se, it's useless. So we need to learn something in order to improve our offers and our services and things like that. And that's a that's a transformation process which is, which is not that easy. Easy. These the, the common manufacturers are not at all successful in doing those things because they know they know have a ton of data. They know a lot of uh, about us, but uh, I haven't seen much services or specific offers coming from them. Um, um, in order to to increase uh, sales, um, so um, but we'll we'll see. Um, uh, maybe uh, uh, Google and Netflix and Amazon, these companies are much smarter when it comes to to to, to data compared to the traditional car manufacturers. Well, yeah, I suppose on that note, then we should say to be continued. Uh, obviously, yeah. it's yeah. been really awesome talking with both of you. I mean, with respect for your time, I know we're at the top of the hour, but. Uh, yeah, Andreas, Max, it's been great. Uh, I mean, like I said, it was super exciting to hear where you guys have taken this study from the first version that I uh, saw a few years ago. So, yeah, really great stuff. So thank you both very much indeed. And obviously, I encourage you, well, Max, we're always in touch anyway, but Andreas, uh, obviously, please do keep in touch as well. Oh, yeah, and, it was a pleasure having met you. Yeah, likewise. Oh. Well, I'll let you both know next time I make it out to Europe, hopefully sooner rather than later. And it'd be great to meet up. Yeah, hope, hopefully we'll, we'll have you here uh, in Switzerland. I would love nothing <laughs> more. Hosting you. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Okay, thank okay, you, guys. Mark. Well, look, yeah, have a wonderful evening over there okay. and we'll talk soon. Okay. Great, bye-bye. Okay. Thank you, bye-bye, Mark. Take care, bye-bye.